set a little bit of context, which is always important. We are all familiar, I trust, with the confession that Peter leads on behalf of the boys, on behalf of the, the apostles. You are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And that confession doesn't come out of nowhere. They've walked with Jesus for 18 months. They've seen him do all sorts of wonderful things. And now comes this moment in Caesarea Philippi, which is a very religious place. I say that properly. It is filled. If you wanted to do religion, go to Caesarea Philippi. <laughs> doesn't matter what type, but if you want to do religion, go there. And Jesus effectively lines them up in the midst of all these religious affectations and says, not what you think of my teaching, not what you think of my miracles, but who am I? And that is a question that we continually settle, even if we've settled it. Because daily in practice, we need to say, yes, Lord. And we should never get tired of that, his invitation, yes, Lord. Now, just before that, and the Holy Spirit, of course, coming down on 18 months worth of ministry and opening their minds and opening Peter's sight to who this Jesus is. That's where we're going tonight. We're going to look at sight, if you can do such thing. Look at sight. So just before we transition into that, in verse 22, they came to Bethesda, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on them, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was given back, it was restored. And he saw everything, how? Clearly. That's what we want the Lord to do for us tonight. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Now, I thought about this passage a number of weeks ago in thinking of our gathering tonight because I believe this is packed with principle that sometimes we neglect. You'll have no doubt touched on some of these principles in, uh, over the years. But what's happening here is Mark 1.14 is coming into sharp focus. Mark 1.14, Jesus says to us, and we need to hear it again in, in this season of Lent, repent and What's the next two words? Well, three actually. Believe the gospel. So there's an exchange that takes place. And we could look at that. And this is Jesus entering into ministry. 
And then we, we build on that in the great confession that we're not going to look at anymore tonight. And then right at the end, Mark puts into the mouth of an unbeliever, I love my dramatic bit, or Mark's dramatic bit, truly this man was the Son of God, or however you hear him say it. But great fascination to me that the confession comes first in an unbeliever. wonder what happened to him. Whether that confession sunk deeper and he realized what he'd said. Anyway, let's come back to this little incident of before Caesarea Philippi. And here's a problem. This person, we don't know a lot about him, but this person seems to have been a man who wasn't born blind, though that is still possible, but over the years had lost his sight. And they knew, they had this sense, because Jesus had done it before, if we can get him to Jesus, then maybe something will happen. And that's our focus We're not interested in any other message or method than getting people before Jesus. That's what we're, if I can put it like this, we are in business sometimes to help people come to Jesus. That Jesus can do that which he wants to do. And so here we are, we have this man coming to Jesus and he's blind and they come to him and they beg him. Now today, we, we don't really like that word, but it's a very, very important word within Scripture as it's translated out because its root request is, Jesus, would you please have mercy on this man? And I have come to see that if you want to... We, we had lunch with Tommy and Debbie today and... We were, we were simply talking about how does the Holy Spirit seem to love to act? And I would suggest, if, it, if I can put it like this, that one of the things he loves to do is follow through on mercy. Now, what do you need tonight? What do I need tonight? Surely we are here because we know that God has been merciful to us, a sinner, and we would like him to continue pouring out his mercy upon The moment you and I switch and come to the place that we think we deserve God's grace is the moment that we are lost in a mess. And so, you and I are a people of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, says Matthew, for what? They will be shown mercy. My discovery is, for many Christians, the more we go on, the less we need God. What a tragedy that we let go of needing God and trusting Him. Now, if you do any Bible commentary work, certainly when I was at seminary, um, we would have to read books that would absolutely assure us that 
well, Jesus might have healed a few blind people. Well, that doesn't happen today. And it's not really the point. The point is that Jesus is dealing here spiritually, whatever that means. <laughs> you know, when the Lord came to earth, he came to smash the separation between heaven and earth, between the spiritual and the non-spiritual that we like to re-put into place. He has come and he's torn the t curtain from top to bottom that in his very presence, all that he wants to do becomes of the Spirit. So we had to read these liberal commentators and the problem was because I, when I got baptized in the Spirit, I believed the Scripture which is a useless testimony, by the way, except I thank God for it. But that's what happened to me. I, I knew that the Scripture was true. I knew it was God's Word. I knew that the Spirit wanted to breathe on the Word of God and bring it alive. I don't always live up to that, but I know it. It's part of the baseline that God has put within me. But the liberals, whatever we mean by that, had a point. God does want to open our eyes spiritually. You see, God is the God who can blind eyes. That's how Saul was converted and became Paul. When you read your New Testament and you wonder, and we all wonder, and we've all got our reasons, why don't we see more people coming to the Lord Jesus Christ? And we all... But we must never forget that there is a spiritual battle for salvation. When, when we say spiritual, the problem with that is, I mean it's a real battle for salvation that includes forces that are way beyond us, left to ourselves. The prince of this world has what in unbelievers? Blinded. Listen, in a real sense, feel sorry. They can't see. Unless God in His grace opens eyes. This is not simply a, well, some people will be interested in Jesus and some not. This is a fight for the sight of God to be received. And I believe His heart is for all. That doesn't make me universalist, by the way, in case some of you want to know. But what's God's heart? All. So, here we are to see two things. We are to see, I believe, a literal, physical healing. And I think it is a healing because it's a restoration. The text tends to suggest this man had sight and lost his sight. And now it's going to come back. This is a story of restoration. And I would suggest that every one of us in St. Andrews tonight there is place in our life for restoration. There is place in our life where things have gone dim and God's saying, I'm blowing again on that. It's not a new thing. We don't need the Spirit of God in that sense. Oh God, come and do a new thing. How about we fulfill all He's already given us? And then we'll get worried about a new thing. So they come and they say, Jesus, touch Him. And Jesus doesn't. Or maybe he does. 
Their request is, Jesus, would you touch him? Maybe what they're thinking is, we've seen you lay hands on others, do your thing. And Jesus' agenda is ruled by his agenda, doing his thing in his way. So, he does touch him in a sense, because there's physical contact. He took the blind man by the hand. And he takes him away from the crowd. Now, we don't know why, but we can, we are allowed to think into the text within the bounds of orthodoxy. And I'm going to give you some suggestions to play with. Please hear that again. We are not told why, but we are allowed to look at it. And we're not going to argue about it. I'm just going to give some suggestions. Come back to Sunday and the temptation. Jesus is not interested in performing for others. Jesus is not interested in proving to others who he is. Because he is who he is, and he's nothing to prove. And if we could get that into our healing ministries, I suspect that we will be much more peaceful with them. That healing is not about, I've got to prove God exists. Now, if you can hear it like this, I would believe that God heals even if I never ever on the face of the earth saw another healing. Does that make any sense to you? I would believe that. I'd be very disappointed I didn't say that. But I would believe it because I don't need another one for God to prove to me which he doesn't have to do, that which I already know is in his character. And so we can be at peace about entering into the ministry. So maybe there were those there who were saying, come on Jesus, do it. And then we can go, yay Jesus. And I think I used this on Sunday, came across this phrase a few weeks ago, Jesus had many fans but not many followers. And he, the, the, the call of the New Testament is not to become a fan of Jesus, to become a follower of Jesus. But I think there's another one that does bear the text and helping us. It might be, because at the end of this, he's not going to be allowed back there, that the environment in which he is is toxic that it's totally poisonous, and he's going to have to ask, if this man's going to be healed, this man's going to have to change his life. Because something in the healing is going to take something away from him. There's a cost to being a disciple. Now, that cost is this. Everything. Some of you may have been at a funeral and somebody will say, how much did that person leave behind? And what they mean is, tell us about the cash. But there is a sense in which the answer is, when you stand at the graveside, that person left everything. Of course they didn't, because they will meet up 
with Jesus. Which now means that discipleship is about the Lordship of Christ. Uh, when I, many years ago, entered, a, I, I spent a couple of years in a very lively new church situation. It had been a Baptist church and it had moved through into a very openly charismatic yet evangelical church. And the senior pastor, when he got filled with the Spirit, had a deep, deep fear. And his deep fear was this, that one Sunday morning that God was going to make him stand on his head in the pulpit. And then he realized that that would be an incredible thing because it would be a miracle because he knows that humanly he couldn't stand on his head. Now you might say, well, that's crazy. But this is what my friend learned. And he taught me this. He said, but Lord, if you want me to, I will. And you might say, well, why would God want you to? I don't know. But when the Spirit of God comes into our lives, doesn't He change our desires and appetites? Doesn't He make us willing for things that we never thought we would be willing for? And things that we once thought were so important begin to fade away? Let me explain just a little bit about the gay community. And I, I'm going to say it, but am I saying it into the camera? Because I have enjoyed working amongst such community. Why? Because I think that's where Jesus is. We'd be very careful with it. But I have met people who wanted to pull away from that lifestyle. But when they pulled away from that lifestyle, they lost all their old friends and there was nobody there from the church to make, guess what I'm going to tell you, new friends. Community was fractured. So you and I know that in our lives, not only do we make new relationships as brothers and sisters, and people we never knew before are just our friends because of Jesus. But supposing he asks you to put down something precious. I'll do this for a moment through the Catholic Church. I have a priest friend, some of you may have seen him on some YouTube stuff that we've done together. We think we're very funny, by the way, if you ever come across it. Um, and as long as we think we're funny, we're good. But when he announced that he wanted to be a priest, some of his friends were shocked. They said, but think of what you're going to give up. Think of what you're going to give up. You're going to be selling it. You're going to give up. You're going to give up. You're going to give this up. This, 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 this. And he just looked at them. He said, hang on a minute. Do you not think that what God is going to give me is far more than that which I'm giving up? In the very heart and character of God is a giver. And we're so scared if we let go of the old that maybe God is not capable of sustaining the new. But by the way, He is. But if you don't let go of the old, you may not have capacity to embrace the new. Anyway, He takes the blind man by the hand and He leads him outside the village. So the suggestion seems to be here 
that we have quite a quiet number. Boys may be looking on, as in the apostles, but we've got, we've got rid of the crowd. And then he does the bit that I love. <laughs> Spits in the man's eyes. Well, the man doesn't care because he can't see. Now, we've done this before, hey, but I'm going to say it again. Do not start a ministry of spitting. But here's the point. If God were to tell you, would you do it? Now, I've never spat in a person's eye. But the very first time I was with John Wimber and team in South Africa, we were in the big, some big place in Joburg. And there was a lady came, and she wasn't blind, but she couldn't see, if you know that kind of condition. And so I went, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, she hit the ground and went right out, which freaked out St. John's Ambulance. Literally, and I said, no, I think she's all right. Just leave us, see how we do. When she came round, she could see. Evidently, my spit's anointed. Well, I could spit all day long, and it would be affectation. When God's on it, and the person on the receiving end, if they get healed, doesn't care what you've done in the right sense of that. They're just glad that God moved on their behalf. So anyway, uh, clearly Jesus was not having a very good day. He wasn't very powerful because his first prayer didn't really work very well. Really? This is a story that Jesus is taking us into. And he asked that question of the man, do you see anything? And we know in our ministry that it's perfectly reasonable to dialogue one with another during the ministry time and to ask questions. Now, when Jesus asks the question, as you all know very often, he, do, he doesn't always need the information. Sometimes he, sees him sees, he seems to. But what is going on here is helping the person also get in touch with where they are. What, do you see anything? And the man doesn't lie and say, I see great, or perform to respond to Jesus in a way that he thinks Jesus wants him to respond. He just says, I see people, so that tends to suggest he's seen people in the past. Ah, but they look like trees walking around. Now, of course, we would believe, wouldn't we, that this incident where Jesus prays twice is not because he wasn't capable of doing it in one hit. There's a reason why he chose to do it in two. Does that make sense? It's not his lack, it's his purpose that's being seen. And it's interesting, of course, in the Scriptures, that most of the time it doesn't work like this. With Jesus, it tends to be pretty instant. Uh, but what I get from this at this moment is this, and I think this corresponds to a lot of your experience. Do we see the instant? And the answer is, oh yes. But what is most of our experiences in the healing ministry? It's a process. It's bit by bit by bit. And if somebody comes to you and says, well, I don't believe in the healing ministry because it has to be in instant. 
That is ridiculous. Just put it into a medical model. You go into hospital, you have an operation, you come out of the operation, you're instantly bouncing around. No, you're not. You're in a process of healing. Now, which is better? Well, I suspect that truly someone down here would want to go, oh, well, probably the instant. But surely as we read the scriptures, we see God acting in the instant and in the process. And if it's God, why don't we allow him to do it the way he wants to do it? Without excuse, by the way. So, Jesus now prays for him again. But please again notice now, once more as he prays, he's going to do it now with a different situation. So he's prayed once. We've got something going on. People like trees. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. But on this occasion, there's there's no record of spit. So we need to be incredibly open to what the Spirit of God was doing, but nothing copycat. I'll give you one more example of that, which I, I, I love this one. Some of you will have enjoyed the ministry of Smith Wigglesworth. And dear old Smith, and by the way, isn't it difficult to understand how so many people got healed and his own natural family were in such need? We don't understand that, but that happens so often. Anyway, you will probably know that for certain conditions, he would stand you up and punch you. Now, not only could St. Andrews get into spitting, we could get into punching. But let's be clear again about two things. Number one, when Smith hit you, you might go down, but you got up healed. So you didn't care that the man of God had punched you. And we're talking about big things. Cancers falling off bodies. Stuff like that. You can read all that. So you wouldn't care how it happened. You would simply rejoice in how it happened. If I punch you tonight just to look like Smith Wigglesworth and it doesn't work, I'm probably going to get arrested. And we do want our affectations. But, just suppose, anybody want to try it? You would if you thought you were going to get healed. And you would if you thought there was anointing in my fist. But we're not going to do it. Unless. So Jesus now prays again. He looked up, we've done the, the trees. Jesus once more put his hands on the man's eyes. We have no recollection for us here as to what he said or what he did. So maybe he didn't say anything. But as Jesus did it, fullness came, light came. Eyes that have been shut and partial are now fully opened. And it says here, it uses that word again, restored. And restoration, if you do it with furniture, 
is often about what? Restoring something, we say, to its what? Former glory. But you also know, I trust, that depending on what you break, if you break something and the doctor gets it right and resets it, it can be in your body that you are not only restored and able to use that function, but that actual restoration for some reason, is stronger than before you broke it. It's an incredible thing. So there is that kind of restoration. And all of us, in truth, at certain areas in our lives, we know it. We don't have to pretend. We're just a broken mess. And we get help and we walk on. But at heart, we carry that brokenness with us into the healing ministry. We don't... Pray for people because we're right and you need fixing. I was going to say it's a bit like the blind leading the blind, but that would be unfortunate tonight. But we're in this together. So now there is restoration going on. His eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And now we come to this puzzling text. Jesus sent him home which clearly was not in the village, which is just as well. He would have had to sell his house. But he said, not back there for you. I want us to spin off that for a few moments in reflection. Again, I'll share something that Jill and I discovered in the early days. This would be around 1982. Uh, one of the local Anglican churches... Uh, sent a, a lovely student lady, an arty type, to us. And it was one of those ones, you know, they come and she had a really bad back problem. And the local Anglican church said, hey, go and see Sean and Jill in the church up there. They'll, they'll pray for you and we'll just be fine with that. And so we did pray for her. And guess what? I'm, I'm pleased to say she really got well. Four weeks later, she was back worse than ever. And I said to her, well, I I'm, I'm really pleased you've come back. Don't be afraid of that. You know, you don't go to your doctor once. But what in your experience has happened? H have you just gone out and got yourself full of the occult or something. And, and she said, no. I went home to the flat in which I live with believers who, when I went home, said to me, oh, you, you're healed. That's great. And the next line was, how long will that last? Now, I'm not blaming them that's not my point at all. But there is a responsibility in the community of faith for healing. When, when we get healed, it may well be that you receive the healing, but church-wise, it's for all. When one person suffers, all suffer. We're pretty good at that. But when one person is blessed, all are blessed particularly if the person next to you gets the healing that you've been asking for for 25 years. You sit there and go, that's really good, God, that you've blessed the person next to me. 
But the whole thing is we need to be a healing community. And there's that sense in that that God has done that in St. Andrews. He, you know, you know that you've been brought, you know, others are brought, they come here because they know this is a healing community. But we all bear our responsibility. Now it would have been perfectly fine in my book if she'd gone home and they'd looked after her and, and she'd begun to decline again. That would have been fine. We can have a look at that. But to go home and the first words that she ran into was, how long is that going to last them? Was not exactly filled with faith. Does that make sense? It's their responsibility to be supportive. And so she came back to us and I said, okay, we're going to go again. We're going to pray exactly the same thing again. Now we knew the ladies in her flat. They were not, please, bad people. They were good people. And I went to talk to them and I said, would it be okay with you, a bit like the nursing model, if when we've prayed for your friend, we sent her back into a healthy environment where you will be supportive of the fact that firstly, she's now doing better. Would that be all right with Yeah, they said, we'll do that. I said, so you've got to stop saying, how long is this going to last? So we pray with her again and God in his graciousness just went bang. And she came up and we took her home, and she never suffered again. What changed the environment? And here we have Jesus saying, yeah, go home. Don't even go into the village. But I've got some stuff in the village. I left my rucksack in the village. I've got friends in the village. Jesus says, the village for you now is off limits. Does that make any sense? That's costly. For all of us, the village means different things. There are certain places I can go without being arrogant where I can kind of walk through it and it's all right. There are other places that I full well know that if I go back there, that's my own stupid fault and I'm going to get into deep trouble. And I've also been helped yesterday by the lovely Don and what's going on here. Thank you for that to you both, by the way. Just to see that sometimes I've gone places and it hasn't been helpful. And I want to say this, I think in the proper way, it wasn't my fault, but I still pick stuff up. Now, we need to be quite clear where those places as God shows. You see, he picks this out. This is a specific instruction. So for me, in reality, and you might say, oh, come off it. I don't go to Christian discos. I can't do it. Why? Because it, it, there may be Christians doing whatever you do at discos. But the village of the disco to me represents something of my teenage years. I'm not going. So if God calls somebody else to go, that's good and fine with me. I'm not going. Make sense? I can do the same thing with... Uh, some people say, oh, this is so simple or so silly. It's not for me. There are certain television programs that God has told me not to watch. I want to make it very clear. Some of them are exceptionally funny. 
but it's very apparently God thinks it's very unhelpful for me. Don't go near the village. And I have been with friends who are roaring with laughter. I have no problem. With them. I'm not judging them with them watching it. But I just have to get up, excuse myself, and get out of the way. Make sense? They're so, that's so, so simple. But I tell you, there are villages around your life that you probably keep returning to, and God's going to give you an invitation to say, I'm not going back there anymore. And at first, that might be rather costly. But I can assure you, the health and the healing that comes on the other side of that will be worth it. So the man is restored, the man has his sight, and now Mark uses that in such a way that they can now go forward into Jesus proclaiming what we're now doing in Lent. Jesus begins to say, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be handed over, what an interesting phrase. I'm going to be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. But he can say that, having allowed in his word, Mark to show us that we need our eyes open. And of course, immediately as we come into Mark 8, we discover that whilst they're so full of the Spirit and get the confession right, and Peter does, immediately they then began to correct Jesus. And Jesus doesn't come along and say, let's talk about your correcting my teaching. He just says, get behind me, Satan. Which means that we need also at the same time, here's another dimension of our ministry. God, give me humility. Allow me to learn from you. And given the fact that you said this is what is going to happen, probably it's not very smart if I contradict it, even if I don't like it. Now, would you turn with me one more text, then we'll pray. This has filled my horizon for over a couple of years now, and uh, we, I haven't got anywhere near to the finishing of it. In the book of Ephesians, which really is the book of Paul's theology, it certainly isn't Romans, by the way, um, Paul speaks to the church. Uh, I would tend to the understanding that uh, this hit the city of Ephesus and then it went round robin. And he expected that it would be read so that those who couldn't read themselves all would hear it. But in that apostolic prayer, we break in in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And by the way, the way that Paul does his prayers is incredibly repetitive. He is very happy to pray a prayer yesterday that he'll pray again today. Paul doesn't come over as the novel apostle. And he says, I'm praying for you, church, and I want the eyes of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to be open. And he, he, he kind of tumbles all of this together. And he says, the eyes of your heart. And we'll, the way we'll do that tonight is simply to say, let's just let the heart be all of you. I know they sometimes say the real you, whatever that is. But God wants to give 
his people sight. No, God has given his people sight, and we don't see very well. Um, Jill, a few weeks ago, went to an optician's. She had to have a new set of glasses, and after a few days, they were worse than useless. And so she went back, they checked out that it was the right prescription and everything, and in the end, one of the other uh, members of staff came out and, and they said, just, just bring your old glasses, put them on. And they said, no wonder you can't see with your new glasses. Yeah, the prescription's right, but they haven't made them to fit you. So you're wearing your new glasses, but you can't see because they're not at peace, I'm interpreting now, around your ears. And what happened was that, that because they were expensive glasses and the company didn't want any bad press, she fixed that and she put them back on Jill. And Jill says, that's great. And now she says to Jill, no it isn't. Takes them off again. Another adjustment brings them back. Even greater. No, it isn't. Because now they're on to the fact that this hasn't quite fitted even though the prescription is right. And I suspect for many of us, and then after that period of time, I think it's about 20 minutes, they go as the experts. Ah! And she'll say, well, I could have seen 15 minutes ago. She could. But now they fit. Why don't we allow God in his church to adjust our sight? I pray that the eyes of our hearts... And I think Paul's saying, basically, if you're ever around Toronto, more! More, Lord. You can get that out of Ephesians if you're clever. More of what you've already been doing. Not something novel. But the second thing is, and we will... There may be some of you here really interested in the, prof in the prophetic ministry. I have a very simple working definition. I hope it helps you. I believe that when a prophet or prophecy is used, primarily it releases the heart of God. I'm very unconvinced, by the way, <laughs> by internet prophecy. That's putting it politely but I am totally convinced by the real thing. And if we want to bring God's heart to bear into the lives of others, we're going to have to see his heart, which has also now become our heart, and release that heart into the lives of others. And I also believe, just a little thing on the back of that, if we want to see powerful evangelism, thinking about what Tommy was talking to us about at lunchtime, you won't do evangelism without the other gifts of the Spirit operating. And one of those we need is the prophetic, because when the prophetic is in operation, people go, and Larry's been on about this, people go, oh, God's in the midst. God is here. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. There was a pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and they are conv completely convinced that God is doing this. And they cry out, of course, evangelistically, what? must I do to be safe? So what I've tried to do tonight for us is, is simply encourage us in sight, perhaps lay some tracks in the healing ministry, 
I'm pretty sure the Lord wants to do some restoring work, but also usher a word of warning. Certain villages are off limits to you because they're toxic for you. I hope that that helps you and that it might encourage you to move forward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your sight is perfect. And we thank you right now that you're looking at us. You see your church. You see your church beautified. You see her resplendent in your glory. You see, as it were, that which is going to be in our experience. Your finished work. Lord, as, the, as Wesley said, finish then thy new creation pure and spotless, let it be. Let us see that new creation perfectly restored in thee. Spirit of God, I ask tonight, if I've got this right, that you would come and restore. Restore sight, literally, and I do mean that, Restore sight, as it were, on our heart personally and together. And should it be, Lord, that you wish to direct us a little more certainly to tell us when not to tread. Bring, please now. your healings by your spirit bring them between us in us and through us